John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. If you would stand as we read from God's Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word of the Lord. Someone commented on the way in. Typical West Texas, freezing one Sunday and, or winter one Sunday and summer the next. Um, And unfortunately, our system is one that you can't just, you know, like your thermostat at home, switch it from hot to cold. It takes a process. And and I was watching some of you fanning with your little visitor membership cards. Of all days, you know, we don't have a bulletin on the last Sunday of the month. And so you don't have anything to fan with. Anyway, most of you know that, uh, I think most of you know that I grew up in Italy. Um, My parents uh, were literally given the opportunity uh, to go. Uh, My dad had graduated from Sunset School of Preaching. We were living up in the Chicago area. And he got a call from a a good friend of his that he had gone to school with named Rob Tompkins. And Rob said, hey, I'm going to Italy. Would you like to go? Dad said, well, I guess. And said, well, the church in Idaloo, Texas is ready to send somebody. All you've got to do is say yes. So he said, all right. So we moved to Idaloo and spent about three months with that church. And in September of 1967, we boarded a ship, the USS Constitution. Do you know that ship, Bob? You know, okay. Uh, And we uh, made the voyage across the Atlantic. It was about two weeks. Uh, Arrived in Genoa, Italy. Uh, oh, I meant to say, a lot of times I'll tell people I grew up in Italy and they ask me, Italy, Texas? I say, no, no, Italy, the country. Uh, anyway, we were greeted uh, in Genoa by the Howard Bybees. I don't know how many of you know that the Bybees were actually supported by this church uh, while they were in Italy, along with the Carl Mitchells. Anyway, um, they drove us to Vicenza, the town of Vicenza. That's where we lived for one year. Uh, the plan was to acculturate, to learn the language. Uh, just to, you know, become a part of, uh, get to know Italy, get to know Italians, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I remember dad walking my sister and I to school every day. 
And I would cry all the way there. Please, please, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Um, I didn't know any Italian. I knew uh, besides hi, bye, which was the same word, by the way, ciao. Um, please and thank you. I knew one phrase. Posso andare al gabinetto, which means can I go to the bathroom? Um, I was in first grade. Actually, I was supposed to be in second, but I didn't speak any Italian, so they put me back in first. Um, imagine that. Uh, but I did well, and I actually moved back up to the second grade and finished, so I didn't lose a year. But eventually, we kind of got used to it. Everything was, uh, went well, and then we moved. We moved to Verona. Uh, if you're familiar with Romeo and Juliet, that's where uh, Romeo and Juliet lived, supposedly, uh, in the town of Verona. And we moved into this big, huge apartment complex. Uh, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but just so you'll kind of understand. And there were uh, lots of people that were roughly my parents' age, and a lot of them had kids our age. And, and so that was just great. We went to Italian schools. Uh, elementary was about five blocks that away. And then when I ended up in junior high, it was about five blocks that away. Um, and that was, that was uh, just great. I mean, we got to be a part of that community, uh, played, et cetera, the whole, every, everything. And then tragedy struck. That's probably too strong of a word. But my dad said, we're moving. What? We're moving to Pordenone. Pordenone, what? Anyway, that's another town in Italy. And at the time, I accused him of, well, you only want to move there because Roy Sarton lives there and you just want to hang around another American. And um, uh, I don't think that was the real reason. But anyway, we did move to Pordenone and kind of got beyond that move. And um, again, settled in, ended up back kind of in a similar area, big apartment building and neighborhood with a lot of people, a lot of younger folks. Uh, people with kids our age. Uh, about two blocks from our house was a youth center. We'd go hang out there every day. Uh, one year, one year I got to play soccer on a team uh, because they, all, the, all of the Italians played soccer on Sundays. And I never could play because I had to go to church. Well, this one season, this particular age group that I was in was um, on Saturday. So that one year I, I got to play. And it was great. And, and we lived there for four years as well. And then uh, we ended up coming back to the States, which I remember when we were getting ready to leave, mom and dad kept saying, well, we're going home. We're going home. And I'm like, ah, we're not going home. This is home. I don't know where we're going, but we're not going home. Years later, uh, I was talking to a, a, a fellow by the name of Harold, Harold Brothers. Sorry, Harold. Harold Payden. Um, and uh, Harold had spent uh, three stints in Italy. He, he went over there in World War II as a paratrooper, uh, but then went back as a missionary on two different occasions, probably spent a total of about 15 years there. And I remember him telling me one time, he said, Brian, he said, your family, he said, I spent a lot of years doing mission work, most of those in Italy, and said, your family was one of the very few who truly became Italians and really identified with the people. And I, that story is going to resonate hopefully in just a minute. But I want to look at our text in John, John chapter 1. And the first 18 verses of the book uh, are what's uh, called the prologue, okay? And it contains the message of the entire gospel. The divine Savior has come into the world, he was rejected by many, but to all who believe, he gives the power to become children of God. 
and have life in his name. Now, the prologue is not a summary of what the first disciples saw and heard, but it's a declaration of what the first disciples later came to understand. John's gospel is a little bit like a novel. A little, little by little, Jesus' words and signs reveal his true identity for those who would believe. And if you're familiar with the book, you know at the very end in chapter 20, verse 21, John says, These things, meaning these stories and events, are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And by the way, the Greek has a verb tense that we don't have in English. It's called the continuous present tense. And so when you read those words that you may believe, that's actually could also be translated that you may continue to believe in what you've heard and in what you've seen. Something really important that I think is, we need to know about John is that John was written about 50 years after Christ uh, came to this earth. He was, um, and, and that's roughly two generations. Now, why is that important? Because nobody to who John was writing had witnessed any of what Christ had done on earth. Same as us. Okay, so, it, so it's very appropriate for us to say that John is writing as, just as much to you and me as he was to those people back in his time. And if the prologue is the summary statement, then the verse that culminates and sums up the prologue is verse 14. And the word became flesh and lived among us and we have seen his glory. And I would go even as far as to say that that's the verse or the climax of the entire New Testament. So let's look a little bit at that. When I read John 1.1, I'm immediately drawn back to the very beginning, pun intended, uh, of, the, of the Bible to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you were with us on Wednesday night for our first winter song about four weeks ago, you'll remember that Kevin uh, had some of his students read uh, from the youth group, read the creation account from Genesis how God formed something out of nothing and spoke all things into existence. The climax of his work being the creation of man and woman. He put them in the Garden of Eden and told them to make themselves at home and to enjoy everything that he had made. And I believe that God was in their midst every day interacting with them. And I say that because when I read Genesis 3, 8 through 10 says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day. And they hid from him, from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. When I read that, I don't get the impression that that was just a one-time thing. That God just said, oh, I think I'll go down and visit Adam and Eve and see what they're doing. I think that was something that he did on a regular basis. He went and, and interacted with them and talked with them and spent time with them. Because Adam and Eve knew who God was. And they knew what they had done when they chose to eat from the forbidden tree. So as a punishment, God put them out of the garden. And life wasn't quite as easy for them anymore. Now I'm going to step out on a limb. And I hope I'm not simplifying it too much. But I'm going to say that God missed those visits and that companionship that he had with Adam and Eve 
So much so that he made several attempts throughout the Old Testament to reconcile his relationship with men. I think we would all agree with that. But it wasn't the same. You can't really interact with someone when you live in a box and they can't come anywhere near you. I'm referring to the Ark of the Covenant. In his play, Green Pastures, Mark Connolly has a very moving and memorable scene says, the Lord is anxiously looking out over the parapets of heaven, trying to decide what to do with the sinful situation on earth. Gabriel enters with his horn tucked under his arm. Sensing the Lord's dilemma, he asks, Lord, has the time come for me to blow the trumpet? No, no, said the Lord. Don't touch the trumpet, not yet. God continues to worry with the problem. Gabriel asks the Lord again what he plans to do. Will he send someone to tend to the situation? Who will it be? Gabriel makes some suggestions. Well, how about another David or Moses? You could send one of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah. They went down there before. They can do it again. There are lots of great prophets up here. What do you think, Lord? Without looking back at Gabriel, God said, I'm not going to send anyone. This time, I'm going myself. And at the right time and in the most undeniable and unforgettable way, God stepped into our world. He came intimately into creation from beyond time to offer in the flesh and in words the very gift of life. Chris Rice put it this way in his song, Welcome to the World. Tears are falling, hearts are breaking. How we need to hear from God. You've been promised, we've been waiting Welcome, holy child. Welcome, holy child. Hope that you don't mind our manger, how I wish we would have known. But long-awaited, holy stranger, make yourself at home. Please, make yourself at home. Bring your peace into our violence and bid our hungry souls be filled. Word now breaking heaven's silence. Welcome to our world. Yes, welcome to our world. Fragile finger sent to heal us, tender brow prepared for thorn, tiny heart whose blood will save us, unto us is born. So wrap our injured flesh around you, breathe our air and walk our sod, rob our sin and make us holy, perfect Son of God, welcome to our world. If Genesis 1 is the story of creation, then John 1 is the story of recreation. God reestablishing the relationship that once existed between him and his creation. The word, Jesus, God, became flesh so that all who received him, all who believed on his name, could become children of God. Verse 12, he gave us the right depending on which translation you read, the power, the authority to become children of God. God has come to our home in Jesus Christ. The Greek word describes God as pitching a tent when it says he became flesh and dwelt among us. Same word that is used in the Old Testament to describe the tabernacle where the Ark of the Covenant resided. Pitching a tent means having to be fully a part of the world in which you live. He didn't go to Galilee on a two-week mission trip. It was a 30-plus year commitment. Same as we didn't go to Italy on a three-week campaign. We spent nine years there, lived and breathed and ate 
Italian. God put on skin and came to live among us. Now, John's use of the verb became flesh is very intentional. Up until now, he's only used the verb to be when he's been referencing the word. But here he uses the verb to become. The verb changes in order to show that the word has decisively moved from the eternal to the temporal. I left out a piece. Eugene Peterson in his translation, The Message, says the word was made flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's the way he translated it, meaning he pitched his tent. Gail O'Day writes with the words, the word became flesh and lived among us. We recognize the bond that has been established between us and God as revealed in Jesus God did not stay distant from us, remote and isolated. Rather, in Jesus, he chose to live with us in the midst of human weakness, confusion, and pain. To become flesh is to know joy, pain, suffering, and loss. It is to love, to grieve, and someday die. The incarnation binds Jesus to the everydayness of human experience. And when we confess, along with John, that the Word lived among us, We affirm the link between the incarnation and its own humanness. And that's why John switches in verse 14. He uses the first person plural instead of the first person singular when he says, And we have seen his glory. We, we who read the testimonial and believe, likewise confess the same thing that we too have seen, that we too have experienced the glory of God in Christ Jesus. In the words of Martin Luther, we have seen Christ, the mirror of the Father's heart. I read a little story about a girl in Sunday school. She was listening to the teacher tell the story of Noah and the flood and how God was so disappointed in what had become of his creation that he decided to destroy it and do it all over again. And little girl piped up and said, I don't believe that. God isn't that kind of a God. He wouldn't do something like that. He would never do that. Well, the teacher reassured her that it was true, that everything she was saying was coming straight from the Bible. Little girl replied, well, that must have been before he was a Christian. If all we knew was the God of the Old Testament, we too would probably have a dim view of God, someone that was very unapproachable. Uh, always calling people out for their mistakes, Um, someone you couldn't get close to. But in Christ, in God-made flesh, we see someone who is, can I say, almost desperate to make himself known as the light, the giver of life, the one who loves and the one who wants to be friends. The verb to make known in verse 18, we didn't read that far, but shares the same Greek word, as exegesis. In other words, Jesus will bring out or interpret God. He showed us who the Father really is. What did Jesus do the entire time that he was on this earth? He mingled with us. He interacted with us. He cried with us. He laughed with us. He ate with us. He gave advice to us. He listened to us and he prayed with us. He became one of us. I don't usually read many articles in the paper, but yesterday this heading 
especially in the faith section, I don't know why, but the, uh, Jeannie Miley wrote this article and, and the, the, the heading caught me and I want to share it with you. It said, when my youngest daughter was a toddler, she repeatedly stole the baby Jesus from the manger in our entry hall. She took him back to her room to play with her small wooden people. Every day, I would discover that the Christ child was missing once again. And every day, she and I would make the journey from her room so that we could place the baby in his proper place in the entry hall. Every day, I explained to her that the baby Jesus belonged in the manger with Mary and Joseph. But as soon as she could, she would steal him again so that she could go and play in her room with the people his size. Clearly, protocol and theft were not in her vocabulary. But over those weeks of Advent leading up to Christmas Day, I realized slowly that my toddler was teaching me an important lesson, and it was this. The Christ child isn't meant to stay in the manger, and he isn't meant to be stored in the closet for most of the year. The good news is that we who dare call ourselves followers of the Christ is all about how this baby whose birth we celebrate was born into a family, grew up in a village, and lived to show us, show us, sometimes dim-witted humans, the very nature of God. We call the event the Incarnation, and we affirm every year at Christmas that God became a man and, as it is said, moved into the neighborhood. The incarnation means human beings can see, can hear, and know God in ways never before possible. The relationship between divine and human is transformed because in the incarnation, human beings are given intimate, palpable, corporeal access to the cosmic reality of God. You know, I think of Moses. If God ever had a right-hand man, I think it was Moses. Of all of God's servants, Moses probably shared the most intimate relationship with him. And yet, the closest he came to seeing God was a glimpse of his backside as the Lord passed by him and covered him with his hand in the cleft of the rock. Unlike Moses, in Christ, we don't have to scale a mountain covered with smoke in order to interact with God. All we've got to do is go next door or invite him over. And we can sit and have coffee or tea and enjoy each other's company all day long. So Jesus, welcome to the neighborhood. I want to close with the songs, uh, with uh, the words from a song that Michael Card wrote. Uh, The song is called The Final Word. You and me, we use so very many clumsy words. The noise of what we often say is not worth being heard. When the Father's wisdom wanted to communicate his love, he spoke it in one final perfect word. He spoke the incarnation and then so was born a son. His final word was Jesus. He needed no other one. He spoke flesh and blood so he could bleed and make a way divine. And so was born a baby who would die to make it mine. And so the Father's fondest took on flesh and bone. He spoke the living, luminous word. At once his will was done. And so the transformation that in man had been unheard took place in God the Father as he spoke that final word. And so the light became alive and manna became man. 
Eternity stepped into time so that we could understand. He spoke the incarnation and then so was born a son. His final word was Jesus. He needed no other one. Spoke flesh and blood so he could bleed and make a way divine. And so was born a baby who would die to make it mine. I don't know how we can help you today. I hope that you've been encouraged by our time together. But if there is something that you need from us, uh, some of our leaders, some of our elders are going to be around the perimeters of this building. You can go to them and ask for prayer, whatever it is that you need to share. But please make that known. And may you have a very blessed rest of the day. Let's stand and sing.